from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Yes, indeed, and today is July 19, 2013, and I am so excited to be with my guest today. I'm glad to be – I'm just so happy when I'm able to meet someone who has done something that probably 85 to 95% of the population wants to do and never will, and here this, this woman has. And my guest today is Seta Terzian, and Seta has written a book, not just any book, but a wonderful coming-of-age story of sadness, happiness, goals, things that happen to people that just make your heart sing. And people, she wrote this book over the course of 10 years, and I want her to tell us every single detail about that. Seta, welcome to the, to the Boomer and the Babe show. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you. Well, so uh, first thing I'm going to ask you, <laughs> first thing I'm going to ask you to do is tell us about yourself and the way I do that is I ask you for what I call your 2-minute movie. And that is your life all the way back as far as you'd like to go coming forward to today. So you have 2 minutes to tell your life story. So go ahead. All right. I was born in Heliopolis, Egypt, which is a suburb of Cairo many, many years ago. <laughs> because I'll be 90 in September 25th this year. And then I went to school and university in Cairo, and then we emigrated to um, United States with my parents when I was 25 years old. I got married to an engineer, John, and I had two children, a daughter, Laura, and a son, John. And I worked for a while, about 16, 17 years, in the Westwood School Department, which is a suburb of Boston. And in the meantime, while working, I really volunteered very, very much with all sorts of charitable organizations. And then when my children grew up, I was kind of looking for something to do. And then my my husband passed away. And I was searching to do something. I always thought that people are born and they die. And nobody seems to know too much about them unless the immediate family talks about it. So my parents and my grandparents, I know nothing about. They never spoke to me about their past, where they went to school, what their parents or my grandparents did. So I decided that it was time that I tell my children where I was born, what I wanted to do, what my life was all about. That's when I sat down at my old manual typewriter and started writing my life story, which ended up in the novel, historical novel of 
two girls from Heliopolis. And the funny coincidence is that Heliopolis is in Greek Sun City. And I find that Deborah lives in Sun City. And to <laughs> me that's kind of a kind of a karma, which means we just get together and with same soul like we're soul friends. Isn't that amazing? Partners. Isn't isn't that Anyways, I love that story. Okay. I love that story and I love your story. And what I love about it is that you decided at the age of eighty to write Even your story. Before, yeah. I know. I can't believe you did that. And it is such an inspiration for people who think, well, who cares about my story? Um, why does anybody need to know what's, you know, what I've done? But I believe everyone's story is a gem and that it should be told and it should be captured. I've actually had uh, conversations with, with Pete, my husband, who has said, oh, I, you know, nobody wants to know all my stuff. And that is just <laughs> not true. <laughs> that is not true at all. And I think what you've done by wanting to tell your children is that you have captured some historical things inside your book and told them in a certain way that I just find um, absolutely just so such a pleasure because it's discovery of things that I might not have noticed before or remembered because I learned it maybe in high school and forgot. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you when we get to a little bit further in, uh, particularly what I want you to talk about, and that will be the telexes. So we'll come back to that. Um, okay. So, yeah, I just love that part of your book. So tell me, so you decided to write the book, and you yeah. had a manual typewriter. Now typewriter. I have, oh, my <laughs> word. Okay, so did you do the whole thing on a manual typewriter? No, no, no. I, no for luckily, luckily, my son-in-law, Bill, who helps me with the computer, she, he had an old, old Apple very old, so he was going to throw it away. Instead, he gave it to me. Oh, thank God for building the apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So finally, I I graduated from that to a laptop. Fantastic. Uh, more, well, mo- more modern, more better, you know. And otherwise, I don't think I could have written anything in a manual uh, typewriter. But uh, with a computer, you can uh, correct it, you can change it, you can cut and paste and all that sort of stuff. But uh, when I sat down, actually, uh, to start writing, I started saying, well, I was born here and I went to school here. and Then, then I, I have always had a very active imagination. So... I most of the facts in the book are real and are true, but I did uh, fantasize a little bit. Uh, I figured what the wishes that I had, I put it in the book as fantasy. So people ask me, "Is this your life?" Well. It is mostly my life, but it's also fantasy, especially the romantic romances is is a little bit uh, fantasized, which I think makes it a little more interesting reading 
then just said, dry, I was born, and I went to school, and then I went this, and that, got married, and then, you know. So that's what I, I did. And I think uh, it was a good thing that I did that, I think, anyway. <laughs> I what think so, too, think? and I think, yeah, I do. I think you um, you kept the mystery about which parts of the love stories and so forth might have been yours or your fantasies or your girlfriends and their fantasies uh-huh. or or something you saw on television that you incorporated into it, right? So you've made this wonderful love story, uh, friendship, um, all the kinds of things that make uh, make a life so rich and wonderful. You've woven this story, and some of it's you, and some of it's really you, and some of it's not you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the political part, the politics of Egypt that I wrote a, a couple of chapters, those are real. Because uh, with history, you can't fantasize. So when uh, I talk about the King Farouk, when I talk about Churchill's statements during World War II, those are real. I did a lot of research because I think when you're writing a book, it isn't like conversation that you can say anything and nobody's going to remember what you said. But when you write and people read, it has to be correct. So I did uh, research quite a bit for the political part and uh, the dates of the World War II beginning and the end. And that's all true. And uh, and my education part is true. I went to Armenian elementary school. That I went to the English British English Mission College, and then I went to the American University in Cairo, and that's where I graduated from with my bachelor. All that is true, but in between. I have also a little bit of uh, <laughs> romance, I, I think, and love and all that. Yeah. I think that's, uh, maybe that's what I wished I had done, but I didn't. Right. So I think that's what my fantasy is. So So I love it. So tell me. Again, so it it starts in the 1920s, right? So let's yeah. let the listeners understand a little bit about the the context of the book, and mm-hmm. uh, a little bit about a couple of the characters. And don't give away too much because we really do want them to go and get Good the book, it, which is yeah. available. Absolutely, yeah. it's available on Amazon.com, and they just have to look for two girls from Heliopolis, and they'll That's find right. it as a print book and as a, a book for the Kindle. Yeah, so, exactly. um, yeah. So you are very progressive, my dear friend. I know. <laughs> you have got that. I know. You're so progressive. You ninety, almost ninety year old whiz. I'm I just know, amazed I at know. you. Oh, I'm right. amazed I know. at myself. <laughs> well, all right. So tell us about the context and the uh, and the setting of the book. Well, the setting. Uh, my parents. Uh, uh, let's say. They were born in Armenia, but when the communists take over Armenia, they uh, escape through all sorts of uh, Middle Eastern countries and come to and establish themselves in 
Cairo, Egypt. My father was a journalist, so he found a job with the Armenian newspaper, and my mother is a is a stay-at-home mother, and uh, they move into an apartment in uh, Heliopolis, and that's what the setting is. And I'm brought up there with my sister, older sister, and that's where we grow up, and that's where the book starts. And uh, from then on, the the Armenian community in Cairo was very, uh, very, how shall I say, very uh, important part of Eugenie and Alicia's life. And so it goes on with my everyday life, and then people I meet and people I fall in love with, and Alicia, who's a little more adventurous, uh, has all sorts of other affairs, let's say. So that's where the setting starts, and it ends, of course, in United States, and part of it, the island of Mallorca, Spain. So what else would you like me to say, Deborah? Well, I would I would love to know some more about the World War Two. Yeah. Uh, where you were working, <clears throat> and some of the um, artifacts that you've actually published inside the book from your yes. personal um, papers. The teletypes. Yes. Yes, I. I was very lucky that after I graduated from uh, American University, I found a job at the Office of War Information, which is part of the U.S. State Department. And I became uh, assistant uh, news editor. The office was kind of a center of the Middle East. And we would get all sorts of news from the news agencies like uh, Reuters and uh, UP and AP and all that, and we would translate it to French or or uh, Arabic and give it distributed to all the newspapers in the Middle East. And uh, usually people, when they talk about World War Two. They talk about uh, Europe and the Normandy, which is really very important, of course, and very sad that thousands of people died. But there also was a North African campaign that threatened Egypt and the Suez Canal. And that's where I was in Heliopolis, and they used to come and they bombed Heliopolis a few times, the Germans and the Italian Air Force. And that's where Mussolini, Benito Mussolini, wanted to enter. I I have this in the book. I don't want to go into too much details, but he was very much interested in coming to Egypt and entering Alexandria, which was 80 miles from where the German army under General Rommel was. But for some 
I have all these details in the book, so I don't want to talk too much about it, I guess. Absolutely not, right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, we used to have teletype machines that would go ticking all day long. And for some reason, I kept a diary. Even at that age, I kept a diary. And I have copies, uh, uh, I mean, not copies, the originals of the teletypes that were sent about Roosevelt's death, then uh, President Truman's oath, and the victory of uh, the end of the war and victory. It's all, the copies are all in the book. And uh, I'll save them for a while. I don't know who needs it, who wants it, but there they are. Well, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. And to be talking to someone who has them in her possession um, feels very important to me. I mean, it feels like an honor that I can actually talk about it with you, and I, I love that it's in your book. So oh, thank you, Deborah. You've done, yeah, so you've done something not just for your children, but frankly you've done something for everybody's children because how else are we going to know where those, pe- you know where those pieces of paper are, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. How will we know? So that's why we, um, um, that's why we do write our, our legacy and our, um, our right. legend, if you will, right? So I think yeah, it's good yeah. that you did this. Absolutely. That's where I met uh, my boss, <laughs> Wells. Is that in the book? And uh, he was very good to me. He used to call me Susie. Uh, and well, I don't know whether I have a kind of a love thing with him, which I won't talk about. But I don't know whether it's a wish or it's a uh, fantasy. I don't know. Uh-huh. So that's what it's in the book I uh, wrote about. Well, I, I think it's chapter yeah, chapter fourteen and fifteen are yes. about Wells and uh, yeah, I so I know I know where it is, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering about that. I didn't. Uh, I'm not going to say what I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I don't know. He was an older uh, gentleman. He was from Huntington, West Virginia, and uh, you know, in the book, I have changed a few things just to make it. Uh, I don't know what, but uh, if you uh, remember. Uh, my father, after his death, I find two letters, two cables from Wells. That was real. But the uh, problem was that I was engaged at the time to my husband, John, and my father got those letters, in, I mean cables, in Boston, and he didn't show it to me. Oh. And, yeah, he didn't show it. That was true. And after I was married and had children, then he told me about it. He didn't even show it to me. He just told me about it. So I always think as to what if, what would have happened if I met Wells again and all that. You know, those are fantasies I think about, but I can't do anything about it at this point. Absolutely. So yeah. um, I think you're probably 
you probably have had people ask you, like your children. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so mother, so why don't you tell us? And don't don't answer this question. Uh, tell us which piece, which pieces of this do we need to know about you, and which pieces should we just, you know, chalk up to fantasy? I bet you they've asked you. Yeah, well, what they should know that uh, at a time in the nineteen uh, late thirties, uh, in Egypt, very few women went to college, That's and they right. should know that. Uh, I was educated at a time when women didn't really go to universities and colleges in a country where none of the women did. So that's one thing that I I like education and I I have encouraged my children to be educated. That's one thing. I want them to be successful and happy. And also, they want them to know that I did have a little bit of a difficult life when I came to the States. It's difficult when a 25, 26-year-old moves from one country to another. The culture is different. You left all your friends behind, which means you have to make new friends. So all these challenges gives them more courage, hopefully, to live right. a good life and, I don't know, appreciate what I've done for them. That's what I want them to know. I, I know, and I think, that's, I think that is so wonderful that you have written it in a way that is not just for your kids, but the rest of us can have the same enjoyment of a life well told, you know, a, a wonderful story, uh, friendship and, and love and sadness, happiness, all the things that happen to people. Um, you know, the the, uh, the cultural shock and so forth, culture shock that you had when you came to the United States, all of that um, is, is valuable for everyone. So I appreciate that you wrote it. Um, and yeah. I think you and I have had conversations before where I told you that I lived abroad um, for the first 14 years that I was on this earth. I was in four or five countries. So my father was in the uh, service, in the uh, embassies. And um, it does make for a different uh, worldview, you know. um, It makes culture shock for us is is real, you know, because you do move around and you you have to adjust and Uh get a whole new... A whole new group of friends, like you said, and and it is different. So I need to it's write my own book. story someday. <laughs> yeah, I would should. have to change. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to well, change the names. I'm going to have to change the names on almost everything because no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't well, want I'm everybody to know my too. Yeah. My secrets. All right. So it <laughs> took you ten years. It took you ten years to write the book. Can you tell yeah. me why it took you that long? Well, actually, or do you feel like that the, was a short period of time? Yeah, well, actually, the writing itself didn't take 10 years. But you have to realize how I write. It's, I used to walk a lot. And while I was walking, first it was like my, uh, therapy to me, walking. And I used to carry a pad of paper with me. And while I was walking, I... I'd think of words or phrases or that I should put in the book, and uh, so I would write. 
I also had that pad next to my bed. Because while I'm lying down in bed, I think of things. I should say this. I should say that. I should uh, change the words, the names. The... So that took a while. I corrected it and recorrected it. And then it took about, let's say, three or four years to actually write. But when it came to publishing it or editing it, that's what took a long time. Aha. Uh-huh. That took a... Uh, I was, let's say, very very naive in uh, about the publishing world. Years ago, I um, saw a documentary on Margaret Mitchell, who's the author of Gone with the Wind. Yes. And I still remember that. She, she walked into this office, the publisher's office, an old man was sitting behind the desk, and she had gone with the wind in handwritten papers. She, she was carrying in her arms, and she went into the office and threw the manuscript on his desk. And she said, well, that's it. This is it. And the man read it, and now we know what happened to Gone with the Wind. It became a success. I thought that's what I was going to do. <laughs> I was uh-huh. going to write the book and maybe edit it a little bit and send it to the publisher, and that was the end of it. Well, I was very, very wrong and very surprised. Uh, publishers nowadays, I don't know, you must know that better than I do. They're very large corporations. Some of them are foreign from Europe and Really, you can't just send a manuscript and have them answer. They won't do it. Unless unless you're a very famous person, a movie star or a politician, then they'll send you millions of dollars of advance. And that's what took a long time. Right. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, the... The self-publishing now is such a boon for all of us because wonderful books are now being able to, you know, hit the rack, so to speak, and be able to be shared in a way that, you know, five, six years ago, people just did not know what to do. They just did not have a clue. And now there are people who are famous uh, famous authors who are starting to self-publish some of their own books because Uh they have more control. They don't have to give up control of the of the um, the back cover copy or the yeah, the actual yeah. insides. They can do exactly as they please. The thing that you have to have in order to be successful is a platform. And in order to get a publisher or an agent to say, yes, I will, I will represent you, you have to have a lot of people who already know about you. And that's hard for some of us to do right out of, you know, our regular lives. In other words, you finish being in the school system and you know being a mother and a grandmother and all this stuff and then you decide to be, you know, a, an author with a huge platform it doesn't work that way, right? Yes, that's right. That's that's what and then the editing is another uh, issue problem. I sent it to an editor somebody recommended, but you have to find an editor that has the same uh 
feeling or the same uh, goal for your book. The first one, I mean, was all right as far as the uh, grammar and the language goes. But she was more interested. She didn't like the politics background. She didn't like a lot of the, you know, and the travels she didn't like. Because she says uh, this is not a political book. And then she said this is not a travel travelogue. This is uh, gone with the story. She wanted like a romance story, one of those that you meet somebody you love, you fall in love, and then your third person comes and this and that, you know. Uh, yes. So uh, the grammar and language she did, but she didn't have the same feeling about the book that I did. So I let it sit for a while. I got discouraged, really. And mm-hmm. then one day, uh, I'm at the Cape Cod now, and, and one day we were sitting around the table, and my granddaughter, Rachel, was happened to be there. She came from um, Los Angeles. She works there. And she says, she calls me Mama. Mama, she says, why don't I look at it? Maybe I can help you with the book. So I said, fine. So she took the book with her to Los Angeles. And, of course, she was a young girl trying to make a career for herself. She worked until Chapter 18. And then she kind of was too busy to do it anymore. But she gave me a lot of help in turning the book into a first person. See, I had it in third person. Oh, yes. Yeah, third person. And she said, let's make it first person. And that, of course, makes it easier for the author, really, for me. Absolutely. Yeah, which means that you have to change the whole, uh, how shall I say, language to a first person. Mm -hmm. So I did, we did that until chapter 18. And then she said, let's have a prologue. And we did that, and that was helpful. And then we decided that she can't do it anymore because she's busy. So somehow her father (laughs) volunteered. (laughs) (laughs) This is a family business. Her father volunteered, who's very good with computers and this and that. Very So finally, after five months, he knew about the uh, uh, Create Space, which is part of uh-huh. Amazon, to right. print and all the uh, the paging. You have to do the paging in such a way, uh, so many uh, lines, uh, the, uh, and then the chapters have to start a new page. You know, a, a lot of work in that paging business. So finally, uh, five to five months, uh, we finished it, and then I had to find somebody to do the cover. So I had an image of doing my the first 25 years in the Sphinx and the pyramids, and then right. New York. So we got she got pictures of those from, uh, I don't know, Getty and, you know, 
people who sell photos. And that's how it went on. So that's it. That's well, a difficult it's, it, You have done this exactly the way it must be done. And and anybody listening just needs to understand that listen to Seta. She has told you exactly step by step what you have to do. Now, what we can do is not find an editor who does not understand your voice and your dream exactly. and, wants yeah. to, and wants to squash you like a bug, that is not done. That is not. I'm glad you got rid of that. Uh, and, yeah. and you should yeah. never, you should never um, let someone um, steal your dream like that, right? So you did That's the right, right thing to, to put it aside and find someone that could stay in your voice and give you what your granddaughter did through Chapter 18, which is a yes, very well-written, yes. very well-done book. And you're right, to make it first person makes it so much easier to tell the story. And it makes it more like, oh, my God, this is really, you know, this is really good. You know, I'm, I'm really in with you, right? I'm, I'm in there. Yeah. Um, so whenever I edit someone's book, by the way, and I do edit uh, people's books, a lot of times I will, I print the whole thing. I don't just start making changes. I print the whole thing, and I literally redline where I think changes should be, and I talk to the person about every single one of my suggestions because I do want it to stay in your voice. I absolutely, it must stay in your voice. But I will say, sometimes I've said to someone, um, the end of your book is really the beginning. And and yeah. I'm talking about nonfiction nonfiction books as well, you know. So yeah. I'll say you've got to move that last part, that last six six chapters is the is the part that needs to be the beginning. And I have actually turned people's books around like that, but with their permission and with their agreement and with their joy about it, not feeling like they've done the wrong thing. So I I uh, I know what that's all about. I do have another question, though. Did you ever feel like giving up completely and just saying, this is just too hard, forget it? You did. I did. I did. Before my granddaughter, I said, forget it. You know, uh, when I die, if my kids want to do something with it, let them do it. I couldn't take all the, and a lot of money, too, you know. I mean, uh, I spend editors and I sent letters after letters to publishers and agents, and they all, I mean, uh, 10 and 20 and 30 letters all the time. And then I waited a year or two. I sent them all over again, and it just, it costs money, and it discourages you. Sure. And then I watch TV, and I watch TV, and I see all these interviews of people who have written books. And they all sound the same, really. Their childhood has been very difficult. Uh, their father was this, their uncle was that. And uh, I don't know. After a while, it, um, I gave up. I said, what can I do? My life wasn't that bad as a child. So nobody's <laughs> interested. <laughs> nobody's interested in a happy childhood anymore. That's, so they want a difficult childhood. So, well, I'll tell you what's that, great about your book, though, Seta, is the 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 history and the um, the references to the world wars and to all that stuff. It's very exciting. 
It's very exciting. You know, to we me. were very in, even though we were in Egypt, we were very um, proud about uh, Churchill and and Roosevelt. Every, I mean, my community anyway, most of them, we loved uh, Roosevelt. To us, he was uh-huh. like a like a god. And when he died, it it really bothered uh, me and my father especially. He was a very pro uh, Churchill and Roosevelt. So as an editor, so we really uh, lost like a uh, our own uh, president. So right. Well, anyway, uh, but now you know if when. I see uh, the demonstrations in Cairo. It's uh, very sad. I really feel very sad. And uh, I don't know if you wanted to say something about that square, Tahrir Square. Well, I I want people to know that um, that you have a blog. I mean, I'm just so proud oh, of you. Yeah. I mean, my goodness. You're 90 years old almost, and you've got a blog and a Facebook page, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I just think that's just the coolest thing I've ever heard. Um, I thought I was cool at, at almost 60. I'll be 60 um, next month. And, oh, um, and then you'll be... You'll be six, yeah. <laughs> and then know, you'll be 90. Yeah, and then ridiculous. you'll be 90 right behind me. I think that's right. I think it's ridiculous to be 90. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous to be sixty. I mean, I, but what I was going to say about that is, what's so wonderful is I feel very forward-thinking and very hip, you know, to have yeah. my blog and be able to build a website and all this stuff. And then I'm talking to you, and you've got a Facebook page, and you've got this, and you've got that, and you've published a book, and I'm like, oh please, you know, everybody just, everybody just <laughs> needs to do their, just get your stuff done, right? If if you and I can do it. But what I was going to say is um, the blog that is up on uh, twogirlsfromheliopolis.com yeah, is yeah, yeah. about, I I, yeah. Yeah, it's about uh, that very thing. So go ahead and tell us you know, the gist of what you wrote um, about the um, Tahrir Square. Ta- I can't even say it. Tahrir Square. Tahrir Square, it used to be yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I really didn't, re- uh, you know, I was hearing Tahrir Square, Tahrir Square. I had never heard of Tahrir Square. So I went on the uh, Internet, and uh, finally I discovered that that was named uh, Ismailia Square. No wonder I couldn't remember it. And uh, I used to walk Heliopolis. I used to take a metro. Metro in uh, Europe, they call it for the underground, but this wasn't uh, underground. It's like a trolley, but it was a, called a metro. Anyway, I used to take the metro until the last station, which is the center of Cairo, and then I used to walk along Tarish, uh, uh Street and then go across Tarish Square to go to the university. I did that for four years. So I can't understand that beautiful square. That was a beautiful, uh, I don't know whether I said it, but that Khedif who who built that square in 
18, end of 1890 or something, wanted Cairo to become, to become Paris of the Nile. So his imagination and his hope was that Cairo will become a very important and beautiful city. So that's right. when he built this uh, Ismailia Square, which is called Natarish Square. And I look at the faces in the crowds, and there are a lot of women. You see the women yelling and screaming and, one, you know, I feel sad because the people look very, I don't know, how shall I say, very angry, very sad. Mm -hmm. All I can say is that I hope the people will find or get what they're looking for. So I wish them them the best. Absolutely. When you... When you talk about the serenity and the peace that yeah. you experienced in that square and being able to you know have your life just normal and not not fearful and all that stuff of somebody throwing something or bombing something nothing, or nothing. demonstrations <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> it's the same thing um, I lived in Iran as a matter of fact um, oh yeah in in 1959, I went to uh, first grade at the American uh-huh. school there. And back in that day, the women in Iran bought their clothes in Paris. Exactly. They were very fashion-forward. Um, they were beautiful. They were not under the veil at all. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the culture was completely different and very westernized or westernizing, at least for yes. certain people. Clearly, you know, the, the poor people were not westernizing. But, oh, of course, um, yeah. My, my point is things changed big time over there, and you just have to wonder, you know, what's going to happen? How is it going to settle out? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I just hope the best for them, really. I feel... Me too. Yeah. And what you Me mentioned too. Iran... Do you remember the Shah? I I am aware of the Shah, of course. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. I don't. Um, this is in the book, I think. But he married uh, our king's sister, King Farouk, Cairo's King Farouk's sister. Oh, Farah. Farah. Is not that Farah, name? Farah. No, no. And the uh, sister, not wife. Uh, Fauzia ah, or something. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh-huh. I just heard that she just passed away in, uh, I think, Switzerland or something. She was 92 years old. And oh, my she goodness. Was what, did you say you think, what? what did you say you think her name was? I think it's Fauzia or something like that. I, I forget. Uh-huh. She just passed away uh, oh. a month ago, I think. <laughs> and she was a gorgeous, gorgeous girl, I tell you. And the big wedding in Cairo. And I remember all the <clears throat> celebration, happy celebration in that square, instead yes. of this uh, sad and uh, demonstrations. Uh, I feel for them. What, I don't know what to say. I, in that heat, you know, the heat must be awful in Cairo right now. 
<laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Exactly. people together, I, I don't know. Well, anyway. I, don't I know. know. So. All right. Well, we we can we can um, resume this conversation another time about worrying about other parts of the world because I do worry about other parts of the world. Having I been know, a world I traveler, know. I really do, and I I pray for um, peace and and for everybody to get what they need and you know to and, figure and it out exactly, and, and, yeah. and stop hurting each other. That would be really really great. All right. So my last question. And this has been wonderful, by the way. Um, do you have any advice for people of any age? And, and I think we're throwing down the gauntlet here. Any age <laughs> about the writing process. What do you think people should should do? If they've had a desire to write a book, what should they do? Well, I mean, <clears throat> young people, first of all, should talk to their parents and find out what their life is is all about. I never talked to my parents about their past, and they never told me anything about their past. So they should do that. The young people should know what their parents did, where they come from, what their hopes were. Because like somebody said, I think that every person has a book in them in their heart or in their brain and the older people you know everybody just watches tv and somebody else's life so they should sit down and just write write about their life what their hopes were what their challenges were who they want to be and what happened I don't know it's, I think it's interesting that uh, uh, people should spend more time with their older parents and uh, listen to them I agree and with one you. thing I just I just want uh, this is kind of funny but I'll tell you uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine wanted me to take a DNA test and uh, I did, there's a company here that I took my DNA test. And uh, I want you to know, Deborah, that <laughs> I'm related to Marie Antoinette and Buffett. <laughs> and who? And the, uh, the, who's that rich guy, Buffett? Isn't that? Oh, my God. Name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, seriously, how in the heck did that happen? <laughs> don't don't even try to tell me. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, all I know, I paid $150, and uh, I had a DNA test, and they said that my ancestry comes from northern <clears throat> France and uh, uh, northern uh, southern England and Sweden and all that. So I don't know. Oh my I don't God. know whether it's real or not real, and on the side they give you a few people that you're kind of related to. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, so, I think uh, it's probably probably more important for your children to have the book you wrote than to find out that you're part of Marie Antoinette and Buffett's I uh, lineage know, I somehow. Know. <laughs> I, I, I think that's so I funny. just said that just to be funny. <laughs> I, it is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is very funny. 
<laughs> All right, so let's um, let's let people know how they can get the book, and yes. let's also let people know that it would be great for your 90th birthday to have a whole bent, a whole bunch more people reading the book. Yeah. So where can they great. find where can they find the book? Well, Amazon.com. Yeah. And uh, of course Kindle if they yes. want to. Yeah. So it would be great for my uh, birthday to reading my book. Absolutely. Well, we'll do, um, I'll tell you what we'll do. We will do an Amazon bestseller run. We'll try to get it to bestseller status. And we'll yeah. do a whole program and we'll get a whole bunch of people signing up to um, on like, uh, like your Facebook page. So they go to yeah. Facebook and look up Two Girls from Heliopolis. Okay. And um, we'll make sure that people know about the book. And this uh-huh. has been fantastic. So thank you so much for um, for being on here with me. And do you have any closing thoughts for us? Well, I just want to thank you, Deborah, uh, that uh, you made uh, my life and my book public for other people to know about me. And it's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of what shall I say it gives me immortality which I'm always interested in I just don't want to be forgotten I want years from now somebody types my name they can read the book and they can remember that what what my life was all about I thank you you very much Deborah you are so welcome. You will not be forgotten, Seta Terzian. You will not be forgotten. The book is Two Girls from Heliopolis. You are my friend and my hero for writing the book at the age of, well, finishing it and getting it out there and being ready to do an Amazon run at the age of 90 for your September 25th birthday. I am very proud to know you, and thank you so much for being my guest today. So bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye now. interesting conversation to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 